always got utter belief in it. And somehow she's found the acceleration. Welcome everyone to this week's episode of the Let's Run.com Track Talk Podcast. Quiet week in terms of running action, but a busy one off the track. We've got more details about why USATF disqualified Chattanooga from hosting the 2024 US Olympic Marathon Trials. Plus, the new Olympic standards just dropped today on Tuesday. Too fast, too slow, or just right, we'll discuss. Diana Kipyake has officially been stripped of the 2021 Boston Marathon title and banned for six years. Congratulations to your new champion, Edna Kiplagat. And Argentina have defeated France in the greatest World Cup final of all time. Congratulations to any of our Argentine listeners. This is Jonathan Gold. I'm joined by Robert and Weldon Johnson, the co-founders of Let's Run.com, the co-host of this podcast. Gentlemen, not much longer in 2022. We have this podcast and then one more next week. Happy holiday season. Hope everything's going well. Hope you've got all the Christmas presents taken care of. I don't have any kids to worry about, but you've got kids to shop for, keep the presents secret, wives to buy presents for. I hope you guys aren't stressing with any last minute gifts. John, I've not bought a single gift. Buying gifts is not my thing. Christmas, the gift giving part is very stressful for me. Honey, I love you. I wish my wife was a runner, though, John. I'm glad you brought this up. You guys see this? See what that says? Looks like a chocolate ball, Weldon. Pain-free chocolate formulated for everyday aches and pains. Who's heard of such a thing? You know what this came in? Last night I was working out in my office. I was hungry. My office is built out in the garage. It's cold out. I don't want to go inside. I start slummaging through my runner's box. Oh, my God. It's the perfect last-minute gift. You can get chocolate. Here's a morning recovery drink for you. I saw some element on, on the new image they have on the homepage. Check it out. Over $50 worth of goods sent your way. You can pay as little as $29. You don't have to think about it. You just get exposed to cool stuff you wouldn't think about. Use code Let's Run 22 to save an extra 10 bucks. Link in the show notes. I'll put a link in the show notes to some of the stuff you can get in here. TheRunnerBox.com. If my wife was a runner, she would get one of these. Maybe I should get her anyway. I did an unveiling video on YouTube. You know, these young guys do it last year with the runner box because it's a cool concept. Nowadays, you don't, you're never surprised by anything, particularly as an adult. But here, like if you order monthly or quarterly, like you have no idea what you're getting. You just know, hey, it's going to be running related and it's going to be pretty cool. But if you don't like that, you can always go to shop.letsrun.com. Those of you that have, I hope everyone's enjoying their, their t-shirts because, you know, like Apple, how they brag, designed in California or something like that. I need to put a thing in these shirts, designed and folded in Baltimore. I've been staying up late, John. Last night, I drove back to the office at 1230 at night to fill out your order because I know you need it before Christmas. But the new shirts are amazing. The long sleeve, they have a hem tag in them getting rave reviews. I got an email from a supporting club member, Eric out in California. On last week's show, I said that a guy couldn't wait to get his shirts because he was going to wear it at Christmas. He said, I'm going to top that guy 
I'll wear mine for each of the eight nights of Hanukkah. Here's the first night. Happy Hanukkah, everyone. Hanukkah has started. I got another email here from RJ in Maryland. I love the new shirts. So soft and the new color is amazing. I'm not sure if I'll ever take mine off. My wife complimented me on the color and the post-nuptial shutoff ended a short time later. RJ, Maryland, Robert, was that, did you write that review? John, my wife is a very private person. I, I could not reveal <laughs> that review. But I will say that everything that has been said about the shirts is 100% accurate. And I also will say that this is the third day in a row that I have worn this shirt. Well, I don't bullshit you guys. It's the most comfortable shirt I've ever worn. Thank you, Robert, for staying up late to get those shipped out to me here in Massachusetts. I know my friends and family will appreciate it. And Weldon, did you seriously say you haven't gotten your wife a present for Christmas yet? We're five days away. This isn't going to be a problem for you? We're five days away. We're five days away, John. Plenty of time. Plenty of time. Don't panic. Robert was saying no one gets surprised these days. Did you guys see this? Messi almost died last night. John, have you seen this? No. We had these celebrations in Argentina. I have never seen a celebration like that ever before. You know, they say a million people stand on the side and watch the New York City Marathon, and everyone calls BS. Whatever they want to say the crowd numbers are for the celebration in Argentina, I'm going to believe them. I've never seen that many people out and about. The drone footage was amazing. So that was the day of the victory. I guess that was what Sunday evening. I guess the team flew back last night and at like 2 a.m. They're on a, it's a British thing. One of those like double decker buses or open, open air truck or something. Messi climbs on the roof with a couple other guys and they're sitting on top of the roof. So they're higher than the, like 12 feet up. It already is. They're like 15 feet up. Well, I guess the top of the truck it's designed to go perfectly under every power line in Argentina, but the people sitting on top are not. And at the last second, they yelled duck and messy. And good thing he's short, man. A couple of people like duck under the, just like, I don't know if it's a power line, a cable line, something probably wouldn't have killed them, but man. Wow. Yeah. I saw an estimate. I think 5 million was supposed to be that same Buenos Aires. That, I mean, I haven't seen all the pictures. That still strikes me as quite high, but I bet it's over a million. And it's just making me worry, though, Weldon. It's Tuesday right now. If they're celebrating this World Cup final and the result, Alexis McAllister, Brighton and Hove Albion's finest, is over there. Brighton's playing Charlton Athletic tomorrow in the Carabao Cup fourth round, and I'm quite worried that Alexis isn't going to be able to make it to London for the game. Um do you think he's he's got a shot of playing? Probably be on the bench anyway, John. I've got a few World Cup questions. Those celebration videos are wild. I, I mean, John, the one from today. I mean, the one from the drone. Well, we got a link to this in the show notes. Someone put these down. The drone was so cool. But then today, there's even more people. I think, like, it's like everything you can see is just a swarm of people. It's like ants. But then I was thinking, like, if you're down there, like. You probably can't get into a store to get beer or alcohol or anything to drink or even a Coke or water. And more importantly, where do you go to the bathroom? Is everyone just like urinating on the floor? Like thinking of the logistics of this. But 
I, I don't understand. Are they also celebrating in France? Because I turned it off with about what it was overtime plus thirty minutes. So I, I right 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 when the final whistle hit, I said, "Okay, that's it, three three. It's a tie." This is the year 2022. We know how this one ends. Messi and Mbappe are just going to refuse to do the penalty kicks. It was a brilliant match. They both played perfectly. And then every they would have been universally praised all over. Metron.com, mass media. Everyone would have said, Kumbaya, we have two winners. Okay, that didn't happen, right? Apparently, they did do penalty kicks. I didn't know that they would actually... Want to have a winner and a loser. You know, it's tough to have a loser nowadays in the year 2022. But what if that had happened, guys? I started a thread on this on Let's Run. Had a slight typo. People were criticizing the typo, but... That doesn't sound like you. What? I mean, seriously, we had this in the Olympics. They just stopped playing. What if Messi and Mbappe said, we're not going to do the kicks? Or you need to make the analogy clear here, Robert. I don't think our listeners are going to understand you. Comparing this to the high jump at the 2021 Olympics with Mutaz Essabashim and Gianmarco Tamberi. Both of them were perfect, and they both missed. And then they agreed each would get a gold medal instead of doing a jump off to declare one sole champion. Yeah, I think it would have gone down a little bit differently uh, in Argentina and France had they... I don't even think that's an option, first of all. But second of all, I think it would have gone down a bit differently and been received a little bit differently. Few more people care about soccer than the men's Olympic high jump. These two are teammates, John. I mean, they both play for the same club team in France, PSG. The analogy, I thought this was the dumbest analogy originally, but hey, why not? John, if nobody kicked the ball and they just stood there, we, we could still be there. We'd still be there right now, and they'd be like, next kick. And I guess after, if you don't kick in the, like a minute, they probably invalidate the kick. Right, John says it's not an option, but what if they just, all the players refuse to play? Would they, would they declare both teams losers and then the third place team is the winner? Everybody know they didn't really win because they lost in the, in the semifinal. Well, I did see a theory here. Someone said that if each team had four players sent off in the final and each team had four players sent off in the third place match, then all of those, te- all of those matches would have to be abandoned, no re- results recorded, and the winner would go to the losing quarterfinalist with the best disciplinary record, which was England. So we were just 16 red cards away from 2022 World Cup champions. And when I started my message board thread on this, I thought it was interesting to compare it to the high jumpers. I expected universal praise, but unfortunately I didn't get that. People claiming, some people say I don't understand soccer, blah, blah, blah. Of course I understand soccer. I was pleased today when I picked up the Washington Post I'm down at the in-laws house so they can watch my son while I record the podcast John Feinstein John have you heard of him he's one of the famous most famous sports writers in America right yeah he wrote a season on the brink about Bobby Knight the Indiana Hoosiers he says with one tweak the World Cup would have been the best he writes this column on the World Cup and the last three four paragraphs are all about the final Penalty kicks. As great as this World Cup is on the field, we again saw its fatal flaw Sunday. You cannot decide a championship in a sport without actually playing the sport. You don't decide Game 7 of the World Series or the Home Run Derby, the Super Bowl with a field goal kicking contest, or a basketball title with a three-point contest. You play on until somebody wins. I am 100% agree with that. 
If people don't like my expanding goal, that's fine. Particularly for the World Cup final. Just play until someone scores. Now, some people say injuries. There was a nice idea on the message board saying you can go extra time, World Cup final. If you're worried about injuries, you have unlimited subs. If someone's been subbed out, they can be subbed back in. So fans could have subbed back in that striker who had the four goals who was already out. Argentine could have put back in that striker they took out that's really good. Play on, people. Play on. Don't do an Mbappe. Don't do a Tim Berry, whatever his name is. Marshim. Disgrace. I put that up trying to mock people. People didn't understand. Sarcasm is lost on the internet. Well, the other thing is, I don't understand why we have the rule. Shouldn't it just be golden goal? Isn't that easier? I know we got we had golden goal and got rid of it, but if there was golden goal in the 2022 World Cup final, we would have had a winner very quickly, and it would have been Argentina. So, yeah, I feel like you just do golden goal until someone scores in the final. It just it's a travesty that perhaps the greatest match in the history of the sport had to be decided by penalty kicks. Anyway, I want to bring this to running. There was a thread on the message board that I quite enjoyed. People, you know, the whole debate, Lionel Messi, is he now the goat of soccer? Which, in my opinion, he is. But, but Let's Run has a different question. What could Messi run for a 5K? As the only former Division One coach here, let me try to get into this. You guys know soccer. I know the coaching aspect. I thought people were vastly underestimating what he could run. I'm like, I assume that there's soccer players on most D1 teams that could probably run collegiate cross country. Now that's probably not fair though. I'm probably under, I think everyone likes to underestimate how much talent it takes to be a good runner. But I assume like this guy's got good endurance. Of course he's going to run in the 16s, 520 miles. And then people, but other people are like, no, this guy's a sprinter. He's a striker. He's a forward. He doesn't have endurance. So what do you guys think from a soccer standpoint? I mean, a midfielder, I assume, has got pretty good endurance. Oh, midfielders, they're going to have the best endurance. But I think six somewhere in the 16s, that's what I would say, Robert. Because, yes, okay, Messi, it's well known he walks a lot when he's not sort of sprinting around and dashing in and out. His biggest skill is his agility and his ball control. Well, he has all these, he has lots of skills. But I would say his agility is way up there. It's not about like, oh, he's running all day. He's tracking back to defend all the time. So that knocks him a little bit. But I played soccer and I ran cross country in high school. I was soccer the first couple of years and then cross country the last two. And my sophomore year, my final year of playing soccer in the fall, I was not training for running. I ran our local 5K and I think I was in the, I think it was like 1805 when I was a sophomore or something like that. I always thought that our entire our soccer team in high school was better that, at cross country than our cross country team. Just looking at the athletes you got, they were going to have better endurance than the team that turned out for cross country. And look, Messi versus a if a sixteen year old Jonathan Gold can run like eighteen zero as a high school soccer player, I'm pretty sure that Lionel Messi, a professional athlete is going to be running way faster than that. So I don't know about sub-16, but I think it's an insult to say he couldn't break. He's 18 minutes? I mean, that's just not that fast. See, this guy's a pro athlete. He has to run around. I know he's not running the whole time, but he's not. 
I mean, he's still out there for 90 minutes or 120 in the case of Sunday. But how far do you take that? You say he's a pro athlete. Like, do you think Mbappe could do it? What if Usain Bolt was a striker? You think he could run a, a well? No, minutes? Bolt is a totally different skill set. But I think Mbappe would beat Messi in a five k. Well, he's younger, but I mean, Mbappe's skill set is truly like based on really elite speed. Like he he has a powerful shot, but like his biggest asset is that he can sprint like pretty much no one else on the planet on a football field. Messy to me, this, people are going to flip over. He seems lazy to me, John. You see him walking around. I'm like, wow, does this guy do any defending? And then I'll see him in the box making defending. So somehow he gets back in the box. But I was even wondering at one point, one of the earlier games, I'm like, does he hurt him on the defensive side? Because I just saw him like legit walking. Some guys kind of jog between places. He's just known for flat out walking. But doesn't mean if he had to, he couldn't run a decent 5K. But. I mean, I think there's some guys on these teams, right? They'd be great at running. They could run 15 minutes with some training, you know, or, or faster, obviously. But Messi's not one of those guys. I just find it hard to imagine that Lionel Messi would just be getting schooled by, like, JV high school cross-country runners if they were lining up to run a 5K. That image is just hard for me to imagine. I know it's hard for you to imagine, but it's also hard for you to imagine Michael Jordan striking out in baseball a lot. But, hey, it happens. So... If you're an inside, if you've got soccer background, I'm sure that some people on Let's Run, their brothers play D1 and pro soccer, email the show, podcast at letsrun.com, podcast at letsrun.com. Unlike Facebook, unlike Twitter, you can pick up the phone and reach us. And unlike YouTube TV, by the way, Jonathan Galtz is very unhappy with your service. Me too. I- I'm a big fan of YouTube TV, but I signed up for the 4K package. It would like crap out in the middle of a game and go to the beginning if I was on a certain TV, two different TVs or a phone. But there should be certain standards, right? Like your cable company, I mean, it's an amazing product, but your cable company, everyone gets hacked off. You call the cable company, get put on hold, right? For a long time. Forget about calling YouTube TV. I'm not even sure that's a possibility. They want you to chat with somebody. And then somebody's like, oh, we're looking into this. But I'm like, no, I shouldn't be paying. I shouldn't be paying while this thing isn't working. So there's got to be Let's Runners who work at YouTube. Get back to us. We just promoted your product, but... Why can't we get a refund for the days your 4K is crapping out? I don't think I even said it. Unlike YouTube TV, unlike Facebook, unlike Twitter, you can reach us by a phone, 844-LET'S-RUN, 844-538-7786. Call me on Christmas Day. Call me today on Hanukkah. Hit extension three and just say, Rojo, I love you. Happy holidays. Speaking of calling, a little-known trick is if you want to get on the air, you should call right before we record the podcast because that is the time we're most likely to check the voicemail. So usually if you're going to guess the time, probably 1030 on Tuesdays, but today we recorded late and what came in around about noon, a voicemail from the fake Josh Kerr. This guy is amazing. He's a regular caller. So I think we just play it and it's full. It's a minute, 15 seconds. I think here you guys go. You've not heard this. Hi boys. The fake Josh Kerr here. It's been a while. Just wanted to touch base, say hello. The solstice season. Other winter festivals are available. Speaking of the solstice season, as you may know, the fake Josh Kerr is also supporters club member. Fake Josh Kerr. And the boys won't say it, but I will. If you're listening to the podcast and you want the bonus podcasts and even emergency podcasts, 
and the unrivaled excellence of Jonathan Galt's journalism and stop being so cheap and send the boys your money. You also get comedy gold, like the other week there, Weldon. You dropped in that Seth DeBoer. Holy crap. I almost spat my eggs into my microwave coffee. Pure genius, pal. Brilliant. And by the way, Seth, and we know you're listening, stop microwaving coffee. Do yourself a favor and enjoy a fresh cup every morning. You deserve it. So, and if need be, I will pick you up a Supporters Club membership so that you can enjoy fresh coffee, Seth. Right? Let's let the boys know. They'll pass on your details, and I'll do that for you, pal. All right, boys. All the best for Christmas. I hope everybody gets to enjoy some quality time with their families. Have a safe hog mini, and we'll, uh, we'll maybe talk to you all in the new year. All right, boys. We'll talk soon. Cheers. Oh, man. I mean, as an Englishman, I'm not supposed to like Scots, but how can you not like fake Josh Carr? I mean, such, such oh, that's so complimentary. Totally right, by the way. Let's Run.com Supporters Club membership is you know, pays for itself, but that was so nice of him to say. John, you're English, so I'm not sure if it's, if it's easier for you to understand the Scottish accent. Like, do we need to translate for some of our Americans at home, like someone out in Alabama or California? I understood everything. I understand him perfectly now. But he leaped on the lavish praise for us, said we did a great job. Then he referenced the comment I made about Seth Demur, who is a former runner at Colorado. He's now a YouTube running sensation. There's a thread on him on Let's Run that people just talk about this guy all the time. I'm sort of shocked by it. But I made some passing reference, like the greats in running, and I mentioned him in a podcast. And then fake Josh Kerr in the holiday spirit said he's going to give Seth a free supporters club membership. So, I mean, I love the spirit. I love the generosity. We'll reach out to Seth. We'll give him to that. If you're not a supporters club member, you have no excuse. You'll get a free long sleeve shirt. You can get that as your option. If you sign up for your free shirt, free savings and running shoes, a second podcast every week. It's the coolest club in running. Join today. Let's run.com slash subscribe. I wonder if the rule is that fake Josh Carr can only call in when the real Josh Carr runs a race. Cause I don't know if you guys saw this, the real Josh Carr ran the San Diego Holiday Half Marathon over the weekend, and he ran 63.45. So pretty good for a mid-D guy. You don't know if I saw that, John, considering I wrote about it. In oh, did I say that? Maybe maybe I was... Ref- I, I know you saw it. Maybe Weldon didn't see that. I'm the one that noticed it. I was very impressed by it until... Did a little research. Chad Hall, by the way, former 2006, I think, Footlocker, 2007 Footlocker champion, the high school national champion in America, who was Ryan Hall's younger brother, who did, it's interesting, he was more accomplished in terms of high school national championships than Brian in high school, but he did next to nothing in college. And then I didn't know he's still running. He's 33. He ran a minute faster, 62.45. And I was stunned by these times. I was like, 62.45? Like, that's pretty good. Like, could he possibly make the Olympics? You know, I mean, the Olympics, now you can make the trials, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. But then I found out the course is 700 feet down low downhill. So you need to add about two minutes to those times. According to John Kellogg's uh, formula, by the way, you may be worried about Christmas gifts. You can buy now, buy someone a supporters club membership for your friend. If you want to buy someone, you go to a different website, go to shop.letsrun.com. That's where our shirts, our shirts are as well as you can buy the gift membership. Um, there. So do that today. I'm wondering about this, Josh Kerr. Is could it, John? You understand the accents and how he's talking. Could it possibly be Weldon? Because that was so complimentary 
no, because that's like his act. His Scottish accent is so good that it's either someone who truly understands how to do the accent, or he's just actually Scottish. We've talked about this before. Like, there's no way you guys who are well, Weldon says he understands it, but I think most Americans would just really struggle unless they're interacting with Scottish people on a regular basis to get that high quality of an accent. So that's why I've, I've always thought this guy is either Scottish or maybe English, but probably not American, uh, unless he's got like a Scottish wife or something like that to to mimic. Well, if Seth DeMore writes in and says, I want the free Supporters Club membership, then we'll find out who he is because he'll have to purchase it. And then we'll realize when he purchases it, who he is. Oh, I think it, it's kind of better for me. I kind of like not knowing. Though if I ever run in, if fake Josh Kerr, if you ever see me to track me or anything, I'd love for you to introduce yourself because I'd like to meet you and buy you a beer at some point. Anyway, it's interesting though. We look at this half marathon for Josh Coe. We may as well talk about it. You say, okay, it's maybe only what, 65 something, but it's kind of funny how we process these things. Cause I look at Josh Kerr and I'm like, oh, he's really more of an 800, 1500 type. I know he says he likes to do some of the over distance stuff, but you know, 6345, that's pretty solid. But then I'm thinking about the guys he goes up against. Like Jakob Ingebrigtsen, if Jakob Ingebrigtsen ran 63.45 in a half marathon, I'd be like, was he running backwards or something? Like Jakob, we all think, can run well under 60 minutes, I think, in the half. Whereas someone like Jake Whiteman, though, Jake Whiteman probably runs even slower than Josh Kerr because he's really a, a pure 8.15 guy. So it is kind of interesting to look at this different ways we approach it and how we view these times, even though they've all run very similar in the 1500, we would view the half marathons all very differently. The time itself is a bit misleading because this thing is so far downhill. I mean, 40, I think he's 41 years old. Sergio Reyes won this race. What do you run Robert? 60, 41 year old. Sergio Reyes won in 62, 29. But when you add a couple minutes, it's still pretty good for a 41 year old, but, so say Josh Kerr is like, what, a 65-minute? It's like five-minute pace? It's closer to 66, right, when you're adding two minutes? Yeah, it'd be like 65, 45. I mean, I guess that's about what you what you would expect. He's still better than me. 67-0-something or 13. or That was like my best PB of any event, which I guess isn't a surprise. I mean, he's a 13. Wait, well, like, oh, he's not really an endurance guy. Yet he's got a 13, 20, 3, 5,000 PB. I mean... <laughs> it's a it is fun like have the 1500 you've got these more 815 guys you've got you know the the you got people like Inger britson but uh, what i liked about this is just they were doing something different like okay we need to get stronger we need to work on our endurance henry Wynn, the former ncm mile champ brooksby's teammate was also in this so i just think it's good to like work on your endurance in the off season i mean cross country obviously works well for Inger britson this is good for, for the Brooks Beast. Sebco was known to do some of this type of stuff. So, good to see. Well, speaking of Josh Kerr and Jake Whiteman, this isn't our year-end podcast. We'll have that next week. But I was looking at some year-end stuff. Found an article from Jonathan Galt in May talking about the 1500 at Worlds. You know, was it going to be Jakob Ingebrigtsen, Timothy Chariot, or could some of the other upstarts like Josh Kerr, Abel Kipsing, or Samuel Tefero win, Tefero win the gold? Jake Whiteman, not even mentioned. The world champion. All right. 
all right, that's true. But had Jake Whiteman even raced to that point in the season? I think he made, didn't he make his debut pretty late? Well, then I'm just saying it's, I think that makes his victory even more impressive. Nobody expected it coming in. Like, what? I right. wouldn't have expected it in May. I wouldn't have expected it in July. Oh, he, okay. He did. He raced a couple of 800s, but he didn't run his first 1500 until Rabat on June 5th, which he won fairly convincingly. So I, I'm just going to say this. Sometimes there are plenty of times where there's a meet and there's a big upset, and I don't even mention the winner in our preview, but that was not one of them in our official 1500 preview for the world championships. I listed Jake Whiteman as one of the guys who could spring the upset because he won the British trials, which were loaded this year. So I didn't pick him to win. I don't think I even picked him to medal, but I said he was a guy who could win. So I'm not taking the L on this one. Well then I gave him his proper due. Plus John, I remember being in Tokyo. I would like to go back and think, do we think he could win Tokyo? We certainly thought he could medal. I know that after the semis. He looked so good in the, in the rounds of Tokyo. He won the semifinal, you know, and then just, you know, it was the opposite. Hey, what's one of my maxims? Everything averages out to be average. He laid a goose egg in the final last year. And this year he hit a damn grand slam. So, it, it, you know, it, it averages out to be pretty, you know, to be. Which would you rather be? Are you going to say it? Well, then I, it's so sick. It is so sick how we are exactly the same person. We are genetic equals, but you would think, I, I, I don't even want to say how old I am. I'm going to take 10 years off. At 39 years of age, that we this would be past us now. Weldon was just about to say, who would you rather be? And I, I thought this the other day, driving in the car. But you tell me, were you just about to say, who would you rather be, Jake Whiteman or Josh Kerr? Jake Whiteman has the world championship gold, but nothing in the Olympics. Josh Kerr has the Olympic medal. And unrelated to this, the other day, John, I, right before the World Cup final, I'm picking up breakfast. And normally I have a sporting, like normally in, in a game, it's just clear to me who I'm going to be rooting for. And this World Cup final, I thought, I don't know like, who to root for in this game. This is weird. I need to ask John and Weldon, their soccer fans, who I should root for. I'm driving the car. I grab down to pick up my phone to text you guys this. And it says, now. I just got a text message now from Weldon saying, who should we root for in this game, John? It's sick. I know. Like they say these AI bots are going to take over. It's true. We're already, Robert and I already programmed. We're just little bots going through the world. Subtle differences between us, but just pre-programmed. Well, I'm going to answer you The question you guys. stands. I know who I'd be. I don't think it's even that hard of a debate. I'd be Jake Whiteman. World champion? World champion. I mean, a bronze medal, if you're a random, if you're trying to impress random people on the street or whatever, the bronze medal is probably what you would go for. But people who know running, a world title is more impressive than Olympic bronze. So is it? It is to me, especially the way he won that. That was one of the most epic upsets I've ever seen in a world championship. So Based on what they've currently accomplished, like if they both had to retire today, I would take Jake Whiteman's career and the world title. Well, also, Jake Whiteman's won medals at a bunch of different, like, Euro. He has way more medals at, like, Euros and stuff than Josh Kerr. So I would also take his career for that reason. But, like, just if we're comparing them head to head, Olympic bronze versus world title, it's not a contest for me. World title. I 100% agree. When I thought this up in my head, I'm like, dude, I want to win something. And to win that race, epic, to take down the Olympic champion. But the average person, 
and we'll talk about this later when we come up with the Olympic standards, the average dude or dudette does not care about the world championships. We do. I treat it almost the same as the Olympics, but the reality is, and I think the surprise Sepco is like the world, the world championships is your TV ratings. Like we're, we're like tiny in the U S compared to the Olympic trials. Anything with the word Olympics is just so massive. And when Weldon would be on planes and they, what do you do? He's like, I'm a runner, like runner, like professional runner. Like they didn't get that when he'd say, you know, I'm a runner. I'm getting ready for the Olympic trials. Oh my God. You're in the Olympics. Oh, that is so cool. Can I watch you on TV? Go team USA. Like it was like a light switch went off. Yeah. How far do you want to extend it? Chanel price is a world indoor champion, John. No, I'd take an Olympic bronze over world indoors. Well then, I mean, come on, Chanel price. Did she even ever make a U.S. team? Not like to, not to discredit Chanel price, like world indoors. It's not easy to win that, but we know in general the quality of athletes winning world indoors is not the same as winning world outdoors or even getting an Olympic. I mean, get, a lot of them might end up getting an Olympic bronze, but no, come on, Olympic bronze over world indoor title, yes. What if I throw this caveat out there though? You can be Jake Whiteman, but you can never make the Olympics. Let's say Jake Whiteman had never made the Olympic team. I'm say I will give you the world championship, but you will never you can, you cannot run the Olympics. You never were an Olympian. You can't say you're an Olympian. That, that that's that's exactly the caveat I wanted to add too, John. Mm. Was it clear with him being an Olympian? Because when you tell people, "Oh, I was a professional runner," they say, "Oh, were you in the Olympics?" You say, "Yes," but I, I don't know. Did you win a medal? No, but I won a world title. Oh, okay. People kind of understand that. If you say, "Oh, I was a professional runner," and they say, "Oh, did you make the Olympics?" You say, "No." They're like, "You're a has been." You try to come up with some excuse, but I won a world title. They're like, "Yeah, oh, yeah, this guy's like JV." Yeah, I. You know what? I think I would still take the world title because. I don't know. It means more to me what my peers think of me. You know, people in the industry, and that's my fellow runners. They appreciate and would know what I did. These randos on the street, okay, they're like, oh, that's really cool, but they don't, they wouldn't appreciate that stuff. An Olympic bronze in running, it's the same as that to them as an Olympic bronze in sailing or, you know, some of these other lesser canoeing, some of these lesser sports. So, yeah, I think I would still take the world title, but. Not being able to call yourself an Olympian, that would suck. I mean, John, you won that TAFL award, the Track and Field Writers Association. What's it called? Is that it for you? I mean, is it your peers? Well, I have more peers than just American track and field writers. Oh, pull, you got to get the Pulitzer or something? Well, I'm not saying, I, not saying I've any, done anything to deserve that, but I'm, I'm not, I didn't. <laughs> become a journalist just to get awards well then i'll say that all right shall we talk about the reason why we brought up josh kerr and fake josh kerr in the first place the reason josh kerr was able to get his voicemail in on time was because we had some news this morning world athletics has announced the standards for the 2024 olympic games and they're hard not really a surprise and so far, I was expecting people would be freaking out, saying, oh my god, these are impossible. How are we supposed to ever hit this? And that sort of thing. I actually haven't seen that much of that on Twitter. I haven't been on Twitter a ton, but there are some pretty sensible people in the message board thread discussing this. And some of them were freaking out, but then the other ones were like, look, you've just got to understand these standards, they're not serving the same purpose as previous Olympics. In previous Olympic cycles, World Athletics would set the standards in a way where pretty much 
the whole field could be filled based on the standard. That is no longer the aim. They are now trying to get 50% by the standard and 50% by the world ranking. They want to pump up the world ranking and make it mean something. That means these standards are going to be ridiculously high because if you have a field size of 27 people in the 10K and you only want half of them to get in on the standard, you need to have a really, really fast standard, one that only 13 people in the world can hit. So let me read through those standards real quick. At men's side, 800 through marathon, 145.2, excuse me, 144.7, down from 145.2 actually, 333.5, 13.05, 27 flat, and 208.10 for the marathon. For the women, 159.3, and 30.40. Only, what, four women have ever hit that 30.40 standard? Oh, I forgot the marathon. 226.50. So Only four Americans those, have ever hit that yeah. standard. You know, you hit, the, you hit those standards and you're like, oh, wow, what's going to happen? But John's gone through it. We have an article up on the website. Um, you can read it. I mean, we've got more than three Americans in all these events. So the good news is we're going to be sending full distance teams, probably full in everything, maybe a couple field events. We don't have, I'd be shocked actually if we don't send three and everything, but that's the good news. Um, the bad news is I really think that world athletics should have, well, let's talk about the marathon. I mean, one of the best race, one of the best meets, the best marathon in the U S we all think is the U.S. Olympic marathon trials. And John, you've looked at the standards. There, they're going to even do more in the rankings. If you're in the top 65 in the world rankings, you're going to be in. And that's that's throwing out – that's a limit of three athletes per country in the top 65. So in reality, for the men right now, that would be the person who's ranked 291st in the world. And for the women, it's 253rd in the world. Yeah, so if you're way down there, top 250 for the women, top 300 men, you're in. And John's done the math. There's actually 10 U.S. men that are in the top in that top 297. There's 20 U.S. women, so we're gonna have a full team. And remember, there's also a quarter allocation system. So anyone that ran under 211.30 or 220, 229.30, 229.30, we'll have three. If you've run under those times, we can send you because we'll have. So if you want to go to the Olympics, all you got to do is run under 211.30 or 229.30, and you're good to go. That's really good for the marathon trials. It's going to be exciting. Uh, yes, it's possible some dude could finish top three who hasn't run 211.30, but I think it's unlikely. Um, so that's the good news. The bad news is I wish they would do this quote allocation system for the track. Like, what Max Siegel, and again, we'll get to him in a minute, but like, what is he doing for the sport? The greatest meet, again, the one that gets huge TV ratings, is the track and field trials in America, the Olympic trials. Top three across the line, it's just like the Olympics. Like, you better be top three or it doesn't matter. So it gets huge rankings, and they could easily have this quota allocation system. Okay, the U.S., you're sending three. It really should be any three. It doesn't matter if it's a 215 marathoner or a 211 marathoner or, you know, you want to have a reasonable standard. You don't want to have some 245 you know, diplomat son going, you don't want a 14, you don't want a 30, 30 guy going because he's going to get a lap four times. But if you put the standards at like 28 flat, 13, 30 for this quote allocation system, it wouldn't hurt anybody. 
if some 2759 guy has the race of his life and gets top three at the trials, he's going to do well. He's going to probably do better than the 2657 guy that got hurt a year ago. And I just really think that they're not, they, oh, it's not a big deal. We don't want to favor the U.S. You're hurting the sport. It's so stupid that they just don't do this. And I don't understand how we can't get this through their head. Yeah, I don't really get the point of it either, Robert. You just look at the men's 1500, one of the most exciting races in the sport. What have we had the last two U.S. championships? In 2021, Cole Hawker won the race. He didn't have the standard, so everyone was pretty sure he was going to get in on world rankings. It wasn't huge much of a debate, but like they still couldn't put the Olympic rings next to his name after he finished the race. That guy went on and got sixth in the Olympics. Guess what? If you win the U.S. Olympic trials, you're probably going to do pretty well in the Olympics in the men's 1500. Same thing this year. John Davis, second at USA's, runs the race of his life. Can't go because he doesn't have the standard. He's not ranked enough highly enough in the world rankings. What does he do on July 15th, the first day of the world championships? Instead of running worlds, he's in LA running a fi- uh, 1500. He runs 3331, thir- which would have been under the world championship standard this year. Clearly, he belonged at worlds, but because you can't do any substitutions because he was running a collegiate season and didn't run that well at NCAAs, he doesn't get to make the U.S. team. It's it's a pretty simple fix. I think you just got to realize, like, if you really want... Is this going to make track and field the most popular sport in the United States or the top five, like Sebco wants? No. But will this improve the sport in one of the most important track and field nations? Yes, it will. So I agree with you, Robert. I feel like this is not that hard of a fix. So I haven't read the article yet because it just came out, but... Yeah, this seems problematic. Because, John, for Tokyo, what was the, the goal for the world rankings? Now it's supposed to be a 50-50 split. What was the goal for Tokyo? The goal was also 50-50 in Tokyo, but I think they didn't quite under... They underestimated athletes being able to rise to the occasion for these higher standards and also the effect of the super shoes, which made it easier to hit. But, he, yeah, here's the problem as I see it for the 2024 Olympic trials is... We're going to get the situation we had in the men's 1500 at USA's this year in more more events than just... We're going to have a bunch of events, potentially, where the top three finishers do not have the standard, and then we're going down the list, figuring out on the fly world rankings points to see who's in line to go. That's not how the Olympic trials should work. You should know right when the race happens who has the standard, who doesn't, who's going to to uh, Paris, and who's not. And the nice thing for the marathon is they're going to freeze the rankings. Like the rankings are like the end of January, 2024. And the trials are like a couple weeks later. So everybody will know where they are, if they have the ranking or not. But what this hurts is it hurts the up and comer, like the young college kid who's just getting it, whether it's in the 1500 or particularly the 10,000. Like if you're a college kid and you're running the five, like how often do you have time to to run these elite 10,000s to bank, to boost your ranking points? And the 10K, or it also hurts somebody that would want to maybe a 10K person that wants to run the marathon on a, you know, just let's see what we're going to do in February. And then if we don't do that, we'll do the track trials. But they have a run to 1130. If it's hot in Orlando, we saw it hot in Pittsburgh when Weldon was trying out for the trials 20 years ago. So, you know, that that's the type of person that's going to get hurt by this. Well, I think we'll see the same issue, right, with the, some of these similar issues this year with the world championships. 
we're going to see the same issues, right? So hopefully they'll then correct it because the qualifying system is flawed in a couple of ways. One, it's flawed in terms of long distance racing because sure you get points for running big races, but mainly you get points by how fast you run. And a lot of races are not time trials once you get above the at 800 meters and above. So you go run some Diamond League meet, it's not a fast race. Sorry, you're screwed. The points will not be good for you. So people are just going to go out and time trial. It encourages one time trial type races in every type of race. And then also, I think a lot of people still will go out and try to hit the standards and just time trial and not race because their safest way to make it is to get the standard. And they could eat. And also the ranking systems do not reward major championships in major countries. The, I always say Belize, poor little Belize. I pick on Belize. The Belize championships are treated the exact same as the USA championships. So you're a pretty good college runner. You're coming through the ranks. You're Cole Hawker. You get top three of the trials. You may not make it. The ranking system's pretty sketchy. They really need to have the allocation spots awarded. They could easily be done, right? If you're a country, you're sending over 20 people to the Olympics. You could make these standards very broad. And your country has a trials race. You can send any three people, and you have three qualifiers, you can send any three you want. It would not that be hard to make this work. It would then reward people for racing in the biggest championship in the United States. It would help track and field in America, which I think is a major goal of world athletics. They're supposed to make make races more meaningful, and and they're doing the opposite. They make people want to seek, seek out meaningless time trials. And for the marathoners, let's think about this. Like if I was in New York, I'd be irate about this. You want you need to run two eleven thirty if you're a guy. That's not easy to do on a hilly course. Why would you go to New York? Are you really going to go to Boston? Are you going to risk it in Boston? The weather could be eighty effing degrees. It's hilly there too. You could be running into a headwind. No. So instead, you're going to go run some podunk marathon, some downhill marathon. You're going to, I don't know. Well, downhill times don't count, but yes, like Boston is. You can't get the standard, the Olympic standard in Boston. So. Unless you finish top five in the race overall, what do you mean they, they don't they don't count Boston just because it's downhill? Correct. You they count. You get top five in a platinum label marathon gets you the standard, but getting to top five in a, as an American in Boston is high. So the big thing is every U.S. marathoner who is you know a serious Olympic hopeful at some point in 2023 is going to probably have to seek out a fast marathon where they can run under two eleven thirty just to make sure that they have that quota replacement time and that means probably a lot of people running chicago may i mean what spring race could you run where's a flat spring marathon are they gonna do that john i didn't see anyone going for the times this year because the window didn't open until we didn't know how to qualify the window didn't even open until november 1st valencia is too late in the year to me chicago the weather is too dicey i'm not risking my olympics on that i'd go to rotterdam or amsterdam or one of these in the spring i don't whichever one's in the spring you guys are off base, I think, on the marathoning. The marathoning will not be as big of an issue. People are going to be confident you can make the team by running. You're going to have to run two, under 211.30 in Orlando. The women's standard is much weaker, 226. I'm pretty confident that'll be done in Orlando. I guess it could be really hot in Orlando. I guess if they run the race at noon in Orlando in February, it could be 70 degrees. But I think as a country on a flat course, we're at a place where they're going to run under the standard on the day. 
Probably. So I think a lot of people will be willing to risk it. I think they're going to be confident that that can happen, but maybe they err, but I don't think it's too many people are going to be freaked out about that. Maybe I'm wrong. Mm. Okay, I can see that. But it's going to impact tons of, of, I think, 5Ks, 1500s. We're going to have a place where like the seventh place guy goes to world. I think we're going to be in that situation again. It's going to be in ranking points, which isn't good. And we're going to see that, hey, this system is sort of flawed because the Olympic trials won't be as meaningful, presumably, if that carries over the next year to the Paris Olympics. The question for me, Weldon, is one that you brought up earlier. The whole idea of this new system is for athletes to be running more meets that matter to get world rankings points. But like you said, a lot of these performances, the main main thing that you get points for is running the time. The where you do it isn't as important. So I'm curious, like you would think, Oh, okay. If the standards are really, really hard, eventually they'll just stop the chasing the standards and try to get the points. But what if it just becomes, okay, instead of trying to chase the standard once I chase it, three times or four times and even if i don't hit the standard that gives me three or four really fast performances in these kind of meaningless races as opposed to running like a bunch of diamond leagues so it could backfire that way it's tbd i wish they'd just get rid of the standards entirely what if they just did world ranking oh they guess the world ranking they didn't to kill like a 18 year old phenom yeah I don't I don't think that's a perfect way to do it. I thought the old system was pretty good. The like I don't know if this new system's really any better than just having these pretty gettable standards cuz I we're also looking at it through an American point of view though. The old system, the standards, the Olympic standards weren't easy, but they were attainable enough where most of the Olympic contenders in the United States could get them. And if they didn't get them, you at least knew well you had, you know, you at least had a shot to get it in the in the race at the trials, kind of like Ritz did in 2012. I think for an for an American, that's probably better than the system we have now. But worldwide, I'm not really sure. But they 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 should be making exceptions for America because let's be honest, the Olympic trials is it's one of the grand slams. If there's four the the four best track meets in the world in a four year cycle. Isn't it the two worlds, the Olympics, and then the U.S. Olympic trials? I mean, what's better than that? Right. What what got better TV ratings, the U.S. Olympic trials or the World Championships last year? Better TV ratings? Wasn't it like 10 times as high? It wasn't. I don't think it's 10 times, but it's much higher. Attendance is much higher. The American public cares about the Olympic trials. You need to make them simple for the fans. You don't want a system where fans... People in the sport, everyone involved in the sport except some bureaucrat in Monaco is like, oh, this is a bad system. So they need to make it work. So one, you either just give the U.S. championship more points or do the quota allocation system, something to reward the trials and also in the distance races to reward non-time trial type races. This penalizes any race, any Diamond League race that's not a time trial is penalized. You a great win at the at the Diamond League final. Sorry, that's a kicker's race. Sorry, not as much, not as good as if you went and time trialed it. Yeah, Rob, I think some of our international viewers would quibble with having the 
Olympic trials as part of the Grand Slam. I know it is one of the best track meets of the year, but European Championships, the Diamond League Final, I think would also have an argument to that title. So, yeah, but it's up there. It's, it's certainly in the argument for Grand Slam. All right, we just ran out about World Athletics administrative stuff. Is it now time to turn our attention to USATF? I've done it again. I've just published another article where I'm ranting about USATF. Weldon's now saying we need to, we've been ranting for 20 years. We need to reach out to people and build consensus. I think I'm just incapable of doing that. I did not ask Max Siegel for a comment, but in my weekly recap on the website, I have published an article entitled Max Siegel is a hypocrite. Francine Nianzaba is back and six and eighty-six thousand dollars for a two twenty-five mar- marathon. And in this article, I talk about this great reporting that's been done by Sarah, our friend Sarah Lords Butler in Runner's World. And I guess last week she reported that you know Chattanooga was up for the Olympic marathon trials. It was it was unanimously supported by the USATF board, but the national office overrid that uh, recommendation for the second trials in a row, and it gave it to Orlando. And we didn't really not the second trials why. in a row. Twenty sixteen, the board recommended Houston, and they gave it to Los Angeles. Twenty twenty, I don't think there was any conflict. It went to Atlanta. Twenty twenty four, the board recommended Chattanooga. It went to Orlando. And she's now come out with another article that has the details on this, and apparently. The explanation given out by USATF for why they did this is they said that Chattanooga's bid had to be disqualified because a USATF board member, Jim Estes, was a paid consultant on the Chattanooga bid. Now, you hear that and you think, oh, that's double-dipping USATF. They're always corrupt. But this is the exact opposite of what happened. Jim Estes, right? Well, you know him, right? Yeah, I mean, I know him. I'm not, like, good friends with him. But Jim's been involved in the sport. In a long time. Worked yeah, at USATF, so- put on some of those like like the Papa John 10 miler and that sort of stuff. Like, you know, he he's I feel like he's one of us, one of these distance lifers. Correct. So I would think he'd be the exact type of person you'd want helping your bid. And he was working on the Chattanooga bid. But this was not some corrupt thing because he went to USATF and said, Hey, by the way, they paid me less than eight thousand dollars. I'm working on their bid. When the bid comes up, I will recuse myself from all bid-related activity, discussion, etc. So for all practical purposes, as far as the Olympic trials were considered, Jim Estes was not even a member of the of the USATF board. He's above and beyond transparent. And he tells them this, you know, way back in May. For some reason, USATF decides at the very last minute that this is a huge conflict of interest and he must be disqualified. And I'm quoting. Of course, USATF did not release this. We had to get this. Sarah had to, Lord Butler had to get this from the U.S. Paralympic Committee. That Siegel wrote, it is not disputed that Jim Estes, a sitting member of the USATF Board of Directors, was a paid consultant of your local organizing committee with obligations specific to this bid. The fact on its face impacts the credibility of your submission to such a degree that consideration of its viable bid risks the integrity of this process. That is just beyond stupid what's, what Siegel wrote. Like, you want someone who understands running making the bids better. He's helping make their bid better. It should be helping the sport. And he, this is not like he's getting rich. I can, the only reason why you want to say this isn't good is like they're paying him like $3 million. So then you thought, okay, well, th- they might support me next year if I, get, if I say yes to Chattanooga. $8,000? No. So it, it's just 
unbelievable that he gets DQ'd for this, even though he was above board by this. Like at a very minimum, he told them in May, they disqualified them in what, September, October? Like you had a total mismanagement. Even if you believe this was disqualifying, they should have said something back when he told them originally, not let them waste all this time, resources, money, building this bid. This is ridiculous. And it's incredibly rich because remember, back in the day, Washington Post reported that USATF awarded, quote, a six-figure, no-bids contract to an Indianapolis marketing firm, Matchbook Creative, a marketing firm that previously billed itself as a Max Siegel company. So Max Siegel, and Max, if I've got this wrong, please pick up the phone, 844-LET'S-RUN. Call me right now and tell me I'm wrong. This whole thing is just confusing to me. It doesn't make any sense. Like, Siegel can give his own firm or his former firm a over $100,000, but now he's Mr. Ethical? Like, but I don't even think this ethical thing makes any sense. Like, is he just making this up because he wanted Orlando for some reason? I don't want to speculate why. I'm not trying to say payments or anything, but this, to me, just, it doesn't make any sense. It does make you wonder, Robert, because the explanation, it's so strange. He told, Jim Estes came out months ahead of the trials being awarded, saying, I'm a consultant on the Chattanooga bid. And like you said, you can understand why he, Chattanooga would want to bring on someone with knowledge of how to stage these things. This wasn't like Chattanooga running company who's bidding for the trials. It's like the Chattanooga tourism board. They need someone with running experience. Jim Estes has that. So he says this. He then has a conversation, according to Sarah's reporting, in August with Norm Wayne, who is the general counsel of USATF, Renee Washington, the COO of USATF, both of whom reports Max Siegel, and Mike Conley, who's the head of the USATF board, the chairman. And they basically just say, hey, we're going to monitor this. We'll, you know, let you know if there's any next steps. You know, we'll, we'll keep keep discussing this. At no point, this is in August, start of August. At no point do they say, you need to recuse yourself. Oh, sorry. They agree he's going to recuse himself from the board meetings when this topic comes up, that sort of thing. But at no point do they say, your role on this bid jeopardizes the bid. At no point do they say, you need to resign or else Chattanooga is going to be disqualified. Which, again, this is a... USATF only has two bids for the trials. It's Orlando or it's Chattanooga. It's not going anywhere else. It is staggering to me that no one at USATF would step in. If this is the course they're going to ultimately take, no one steps in and says, hey, we've only got two bids here. One of them's in jeopardy of being DQ'd because of this conflict of interest thing. Instead, they let this whole thing play out. They And then at the 11th hour, they tell Chattanooga, yeah, sorry, your bid actually was never going to be considered because you had this guy from the USATF board that you were paying. They try to spin Jim Estes as a scapegoat here, but to me, this is USATF. The higher-ups were well aware of this, did nothing, and then are trying to claim there's this big issue. But it's like, you are the ones who could have prevented this issue by offering him clear direction at any point. I don't know if USATF got spooked once USOPC found out, and they were like, oh, USOPC is going to freak out once they realize what's going on. But I don't think it's unfair to wonder. It's just so incompetent here is this the actual reason would be, this is the reason they're given, but it's so incompetent that you've got to actually wonder, is this a cover for something more nefarious? I think one thing you guys are leaving out in fairness to Max, they then did a site visit in September. Jim Estes 
was like helping with the bid on the site visit. And it says, quoting from the article, on the second day of the site visit, a USATF staffer, Adam Schmink, who is a managing director of events entertainment, raised concerns to Chattanooga about Estes' presence. So then they took Estes. They said, look, you can't be involved as the people are going around and again. So he then came off. Then the USOPC became aware. And then it sounds like it was done with a conjunction of the USOPC. They're like, okay, just disqualify the bid. So the USOPC is like, oh, that, that's a conflict of interest. Maybe then they sort of, they could, it could be that they forced his hand. If that's the case, I still have a lot of blame for USATF, right? He told them like months ago, they should have laid down the parameters of what can happen. And also, like, Jim says he would have like quit working with the Chattanooga and this could have been avoided. But if USATF now wants to be above and now holier than everyone dot every I cross every T. Okay. Maybe I'm for that. We'll drop your pay immediately. Max Siegel immediately to what's in line with a CEO of a similar size organization. And you should probably make a million dollars or less. I think what they're trying to cover up is any criticism. They know that the $3.8 million salary for Siegel and the million plus for somebody else is grossly disgusting. And they just don't want any criticism. Like imagine if it, if it comes out that like USATF awards bid to Chattanooga for board members on paid consultant. Like if people didn't realize that he accused himself, d- didn't realize he was only paid $8,000. You know, imagine if, the, if the, let's say it was, let's say he was being paid $2 million and he was, you know, taking the other board members around town, people might think, oh, we should give him the bid because, you know, next time somebody will know to give to hire us as the consultant and we'll give them the bid. So I can see why you're somewhat worried about that down the road, but it's mainly they just don't want any scrutiny because the stuff that they've done that's really highly unethical, like paying him $3.8 million, even though the revenues this year for USATF or last year for USATF were down from seven years ago or something like that, they don't want scrutiny of that. So I, I say I'm going to do it. And by the end of January, we need to do it. The editorial needs to be written. Revenues are down. Siegel, he may have been a genius. He negotiated this Nike deal that no one else could have thought of. I don't think that's true. But even in the best case scenario, revenues are down. This guy's just grossly butchered this process yet again. He needs to resign. Well, the one thing I would say here, so I give Max Siegel and USATF credit for a couple things. One is for actually... A- Give being transparent about their explanation here. This isn't something we always get from them. And yes, USO transparent. Look, they weren't transparent. Let, let me let me finish. Let me finish. USOPC kind of were the ones who were bringing this forward. But Max Siegel actually talked to Sarah Lodge Butler for this story. So he gave him her. You know, I don't know what the conversation was like, but he said that is simply not the case. Sorry, he was asked if Orlando, if he had any personal reason to favor Orlando. He said, that is not simply the case. Frankly, we have two competitive bids. When the bids came to us, they had been fully vetted. They had committees that reviewed them, and both of the bids, in everyone's opinion, were quality bids. So that's his statement. He's claiming that there was no favoritism towards Orlando. I guess the transparency is more here from USOPC and Jim Estes, who, you know, wants to clear his name here. But this is what we we don't always learn these sort of inner details. So I will give them some credit for Max speaking on the record and giving an explanation. But yeah, I, I like you guys said, I can understand why they 
don't want the appearance of conflict of interest or that sort of thing, but ultimately they had the chance to fix this and they months ago and they didn't. And maybe maybe it was just they were spooked by USOPC people. They come over, they're like, wait, what's he doing here? Isn't he on your board? They realize then the perspective how it looks and they say oh actually he shouldn't be involved so yeah I, I guess they came realize oh we made a mistake but it doesn't come off well at all when they're removing him and torpedoing one of their only bids for this event with something that they could have fixed themselves and that the higher-ups at usatf have been well aware of for months right it's not a good look jim estes once he had said look i'm out of my bid he should not have been interacting with the board members about the bid or nothing that was a mistake, I think, on his behalf or Chattanooga's behalf or whatever. But having said that, USATF didn't make it clear what, what he should be doing. And the loss is we lost what, what everyone said was a superior bid, right? The board of directors themselves said this bid is superior. So in theory, the running community lost out because an inferior bid was selected. But I'll give Matt, USATF and Max a little credit. They went back to Orlando and said, look, you got to increase your price money a little bit, blah, blah, blah. So they did get some leverage from Orlando. But once again, it's USATF not running perfectly smoothly. It took like, what, a month for this to come out? We heard rumblings about this. They should have said right away what happened, been transparent. They're a nonprofit public corporation that works for the greater public good. Be transparent throughout the process. And... But I've heard people, you know, fans say, look, hey, it's better for me to get to Orlando. I can get to Orlando. It's one of the easier airports in America to get to. Like, so I'm glad there's more price money. Look, I didn't know that Estes was, I thought he recused himself totally. I didn't know he originally, he was socializing with the members when they were doing their bid tour. He shouldn't have been doing that. And that's wrong. I hope this is the highly ethical USATF. But in my mind, they're spooked by the $3.8 million of, of nefariousness up top. And, and they don't want any scrutiny because he's got enough. He he already deserves enough scrutiny. The the idea that he's running some super ethical thing now is is ridiculous. So let's hope that this is just the start of a new era and one that doesn't include him. Been there what? Ten years. Oh, yeah, yeah ten, ten years. Okay, maybe his thing was he got the Nike contract sponsorship revenues. Down, what I was, we look up the numbers, what the last six years or something, but he got it to another level. Max says he has these great job offers. I would say it's probably best for everyone. You know, you go take them, we'll bring in some fresh blood and get some new ideas here. Best case, the best, the best, the best read of Siegel, he had an amazing year. He was Joe Flacco. He got hot. They won the Super Bowl, but now it's time to move on. Where's my Lamar? All right, another piece of news that broke today. Diana Kipyoke, the winner of the 2021 Boston Marathon, she was officially banned. The suspension, she'd been suspended a few months ago for triamcinolone acetonide. It's the hot new drug, apparently, in Kenya. And the BAA said that she would be stripped of a title if that suspension was upheld. Well, it was upheld and she was actually given, it's pretty crazy. She was suspended for that. She was also suspended banned for tampering during the investigation into her positive test. And normally what's supposed to happen is if you're being charged with two things at the same time, you only are charged for the more severe 
case, which in this case would have been tampering, would have been a four-year ban. And what happened is the AIU said that they were aggravating circumstances. They thought it was so bad what she had done and taking this drug and then covering it up and her behavior. They went for six years and they got six years. So she's now banned for six years. She has been stripped of the title. Edna Kiplagat is your official 2021 Boston Marathon champion at the age of 41 when she won that race. And the other thing, I'm going to give the BAA a lot of credit here, is they're going to be adjusting the prize money from everyone who was sort of knocked off by Kip Puget. So everyone will be bumped up a spot and they will be bumped up in prize money accordingly. I don't know. I think they do have a process in leaving some of the prize money in escrow for if you're a World Marathon Majors winner, you know, for situations like this. I'm not sure how much they're paid out to Kip Puget that she's never going to be able to get back or that they're never going to be able to get back. But kudos to BAA for paying the people who earn their proper spots, including Kip Lagarde, what they deserve. A few corrections here. She's the Kip Lagarde is now the two-time Boston Marathon champion. She also won in 2017. It's not a correction. I didn't make a mistake. Well, you did make a mistake when you said that she won the race at the age of 41. That's not true. She ran the race at age of 41. She won it today at the age of 43. Okay, that's just splitting. That's picking nets, Robert. Or splitting hairs. Okay. I'm about to say, why are we even wasting our time with this? We already knew she cheated. We already knew she's been suspended. But Edna Kippelgott does deserve the praise. Lost the marathon. I don't think they had already paid her out, John. We heard she test positive a long time ago. They may not have even paid her. They should always wait about three months to pay out anyway. So hopefully they didn't give her a dime of their money. But good for them. Because everyone else was cheated. These people are cheats. And we need to go there next. Where I want to go is, why don't we have lifetime bans? There's no innocent explanation for EPO getting in your system. People say, people say you can't have that. Like, people act like it's inhumane. But, you know, it's like, like, I've heard people make, like, legal arguments that you can't do that. But we do it all the time. Like, people that commit financial crimes are, are barred from being the head of a publicly traded company working in stocks and bonds, like you cheated in a major level in the sport of running. You can no longer work in the sport of running. It's a very simple, logical fact. Yeah. I'm not entirely imposed to, I mean, it's, you'd have to be kind of specific about the kind of drugs you're including. I think EPO should be one of them, but also a six-year ban, that's essentially a lifetime ban. Like, is she really going to be able to come back and do anything after this? I, yeah, I I think I agree with you, Robert, on the lifetime ban. I mean, in general, I do like giving people a second chance. But like, something like EPO, that's just, you're the only reason you're taking EPO is to cheat at running. And I'm not sure if those people should deserve a second chance in the sport. But where I was going was, we mentioned this on the Friday 15, and I'm like, who's this no-name? Aras Kaye, the Turkish long-distance runner. This guy was a... Yeah, was he a two-time European cross-country champion, John? So one he time. won... Two-time. He won once, and then 2019, he finished second, but the winner, you're not going to believe this, Robel Fasia of Sweden was pot for doping. So Kaya was elevated to gold. 
and now it's coming out. Actually, no, Kaya was also has been doping, and he's going to be able to keep that because it was long enough ago. They're not going to be able to strip it, but yeah, officially he's the winner in 2016 and 2020. Sorry, 2016 and 2019. And kudos to him. He signed an admission paper, admitted it. So stole all this money for years and just admits it. But it then came out on Instagram. Oh gosh, my French isn't good. Jimmy Gressier. He's a pretty good French distance runner. He was third, I guess, last year Europeans. It was like Jakob Ingebrigtsen won, Kaye two, Gressier third, I think. Correct me if I'm wrong. But he posted in French on Instagram a long rant just going off on this guy. And my French is very good via Google Translation. He said the doping by a bunch of fat, weak, lazy, those who don't train with their heart or their head. We clean athletes pay the consequences. In high-level sports, a minimum part of the top level in the world, it's the cheaters. And people ask me, why can't you make the medals? Why do you only finish 13th in the world? But then this is interesting. He says, high-ranking people in France are giving us big speeches that about how we can't win enough medals in France simply because we don't cheat. We are not cheaters. So, I mean, I, I'm just glad he's ranting off. We sort of forget, like, every one of these cheats is depriving a clean athlete of something they deserve. He would have, you know, still not beaten Jakob Ingebrigtsen, but he'd be one place or closer to the gold medal. And there's just hidden victims with all these dopers. Kudos to Gretier for speaking up. This is also the same guy a few years ago thought he found what might have been doping materials in Tuffy McCluthy's bag at one of the training camps. I don't think anything ever came of that, but has Tuffy McCluthy even raced since then? I'm trying to remember the last time I saw him anywhere. But yeah, it sucks for an athlete like Gressier, especially if I bet he had some suspicions about RS Kaya for a while. And if you speak about them before anything comes, you look like a you're throwing unfounded ac- accusations and you look like you're sour grapes. You know, you're complaining about someone who beat you, but it's really pretty awful. Like, you know, to say, okay, I know at least a couple of these people ahead of me are doping. What am I supposed to do? people dedicate their whole lives to the sport. Like every day, someone like Jimmy Gressier will wake up thinking about how he's trying to get faster and to just have someone beating you consistently because they're cheating. You're not, it, it sucks. It, re- it really does. I feel for these, for all these athletes who are impacted by doping, not just him. Charlie Grice, a British runner posted on Instagram, good riddance. And everybody knew. Speaking of everybody knowing, we're going to be bringing back the Let'sRun.com doping polls. In case you missed them or were too young back then. 2014, we did them. We just posted like, you know, major champions, major American stars, major past champions. Do you think they're dirty or clean? Some people didn't like it, but I think it, one, we decided in Let's Run, it leads to a cleaner sport because if you're clean and people are saying you're dirty, you're going to speak up and say, no, I'm clean. And you're going to advocate for more testing. And also it just shows like 
what how doping casts a shadow over the entire sport. No one is truly presumed innocent. They show up at your house unannounced and make you face a random stranger, show them your privates, and pee into a cup. That's not treating you like you're completely innocent. Well, the interesting thing, I was looking back at some of our results from the last time you guys did the doping polls, which I think was 2013 or 2014. For some of them, like, the baseline was 20%. Like, no one was lower than about 20% in some of these polls, which I was just like crazy. Well, one in five let's visitors to let'srun.com essentially just assumes any world record holder had to be doping, which I don't know if I really agree with that mindset, but it was a higher percentage of cynicism than I expected when I went into it. So I guess I'm going to be interested to see, obviously some athletes are more suspicious than others. Some of them I think had actually, like there is evidence, written evidence saying that these people doped and they weren't at a hundred percent. So there are also people who are willing to give the benefit of doubt to almost everyone. So, or you're just not familiar with the athlete. So yeah, that is to say, I'm interested to see what these doping polls turn up this time around. I want to go back and look at the old ones before we do the new ones to see like, was there anyone that was popped after the fact, like, you know, 2015, 2016, like when what percent of people thought they were dirty? It, it's weird. I would think to me, the sport would be cleaner now than it was then, but we've had so many more drug busts. It seems like recently, who knows? Well, you could have the same amount of doping and better testing and that'll get you more drug bust. Testing's definitely better than it's ever been. Doesn't mean a lot of people can't be doping. But should we take down the doping bowls on Christmas Day, or is that too sacrilegious? Or would Jesus want the truth out there? I assume this is going to be sort of a post-Christmas thing. I didn't know if we had enough time to get all these doping bowls up, especially when you've got to be finding the time to get your wife a present between now and Christmas Day. Well, the true investigative journalist, John, a lot of them they don't stay married very long. They're just hard hard at their craft. Just. Now you know why we forget about Christmas. But should we do message board rumor of the week? I don't know if even it's a rumor, so I might feel bad mentioning this one, but this is the top thread of right now on Let's Run. Granted, it's a slow period, but you got me wondering. Slinsky to Oregon? I don't know anything. I haven't heard anything to support that, but it also wouldn't shock me. I mean... Chris Linsky and Jerry Schumacher obviously have a good relationship. Chris is in the coaching profession now at the University of Florida where he coaches the distance squads. If Jerry wants, I mean, Jerry already has Shalane Flanagan working under him. She works, I think, mostly more with the women, but, you know, it's kind of helps with the whole program. But if Jerry kind of wants to move into more of an overseer role, or even, like, he might just want another assistant. You know, he has, for the last few years, he's had, Shalane Flanagan and Pascal Dobert at the Bowman Track Club. So if he wants another, I think Pascal is going to stay mostly with the Bowman athletes, but you have a lot more athletes in Oregon than you do on BTC. Maybe he wants another assistant. Jerry, you know, Solinsky would be a good fit, but I don't know. I haven't heard anything either way to support whether this is true. Well, there is a women's coaching job posted. People have pointed that out, but some people in the know or not in the know, just people on the forums are saying, look, that's $75,000 a year job. They're saying Slinsky makes more 125. I've not verified any of these numbers. You know, that's not, this isn't a job for him. Also, if he came in 
you know, some of the speculation would be he comes in because he will do, hand deliver Parker Valby to Oregon. Like that would be one thought process. But if Slonsky goes and he's a, he's a women's coach, well, he coaches both at Florida, right, John? I believe so. But he's most had most success with women, or really it was just Parker Valby. But if he goes and wants to coach the women at Oregon, is he stepping on Shalane Flanagan's toes? So, you know, how would that really work in practicality? But it's just one of those things you see and you're like, well, wouldn't surprise me, but maybe not. Rojo, any thoughts or does this not interest you at all? The thread kind of annoyed me, but I guess if I think about it logically, look, he's a head distance coach at Florida. At Oregon, he would be an assistant. That's a step down. Now, the difference is he's at a distance-focused school. At Oregon, he hardly gets any scholarships on the men's side, and the women's team isn't very good. But people are like, oh, he's got a strike when he's hot. He's got, he's got one good runner, and why would she want to leave with him? If I was her, I would stay at Florida. She liked being part of the team championship national title team last year. Why wouldn't she just stay there? Parker, Chris Zelensky is not the reason why you're a great runner. Apparently, she did want to quit the team. She was injured. He told her not to. It's great that he had faith in you, but anyone can make you good. You should go. If you go to Nike, you should get paid big time. NIL, multiple, north of six figures before you even think about leaving Oregon. Parker, you should probably actually tell Florida you're considering leaving and seeing if the boosters can come up with some, some money for you. That's what I would tell her. So I'm more worried about Parker Volby. If, if Solinsky wants to stay with Jerry, that wouldn't shock me, but I'd rather have, have my own job, be in charge of my own people. But I'd also rather be at a distance school if I was a distance coach. How much do you think the Florida track and field boosters would pay to keep Parker Volby around? How much is a national title worth this year? I don't know. How much does Mike Holloway make? Did he make like a million a year? I'd say he earned, I mean, he, he owns every cent of that, though. His track record's pretty great. For a second, I thought Robert was going to reserve comment. Then I'm like, whoa, is Robert Johnson returning to Oregon? The different Robert Johnson. Yeah, well, how crazy would that be if Robert's already accepted the job to become Jerry's assistant at Oregon? And we have to find out on our own message board or something like that. Just got a text from someone that's close to the team. God, I'm quick. I mean, I I had not texted until y'all brought this up, what, two minutes ago? That's what I'm hearing, but not confirmed. All right, guys. Well, I think that's going to do it for this week's episode of the Let's Run.com Track Talk podcast. Remember, if you need any last-minute gift guides, last-minute gift ideas for the runner in your life, the runnerbox.com. Or if you want to support Let's Run.com, go to shop com and you can buy one of the world's most comfortable t-shirts great looking as well designed and folded by our own robert johnson in baltimore maryland we will have a friday 15 this week uh on december 23rd and then yeah we'll have merry christmas happy hanukkah this week to everyone next week we'll be back do a little retrospective the year that was 2022 in the world of running highs, lows, the good, the bad, and the ugly, all that stuff. I I have one question here. Religion related, John, you're the Shoot. expert. Cause we've got the various religions fighting for their world. You're trying to pr- outdo another religion. Like 
the Christian Let's Run supporter was going to wear the shirt on Christmas dinner. And then the Jewish guy's like, I'm top of that. I'm wearing it eight days straight. I don't really know the Muslim holidays very well or the Buddhist holidays. Like, do they do anything with gifts? Can, can, can they get involved here? Like, there's a lot of people living in India. If we can get th- that religion involved in the shirts and they all do like 15 days each and they probably need several shirts for that, that would be great. I mean, they all have holidays. There's Ramadan, there's Tet, there's Kwanzaa, Diwali. You know, most major religions have holidays. I don't know exactly what the gift whole thing is, but if you want to wear or buy someone a Let's Run.com shirt in support of any holiday you want, I, I mean, I support that. No, but also you guys are not promoting the right thing. You can also give the gift of Let's Run.com. You can now give supporters club memberships. In the store. You buy one yourself, go to let'srun.com slash subscribe. If you want to give one, go to shop.let'srun.com. Purchase it there. We will make sure your beloved gets it. We'll get Maybe your coach shirts. would like that. You know, I mean, if you're already listening this deep into the podcast, you may very well already be a let'srun.com supporters club member. But if you're a high school athlete or a college athlete or you know a post-collegiate or something like that, and there's a running fan in your life who maybe doesn't go to Let's Run as much as they should, isn't really well-versed with what we do here, give them a little Supporters Club membership. Tell them, hey, they put out this podcast twice a week. Might be something you're interested in. See if they like it. Yeah, to me, I think that's a pretty good gift idea for a running fan. That's the way. Every team in America right now, every high school team, everybody go chip five bucks together, put them together, buy your coach a membership. And they get a cool ass shirt too. They get this really comfortable shirt. I mean, I'm pissed that Robert said he didn't mail me mine, so I'm not going to have mine for Christmas because I'm going out of town three three days before. Kind of bummed actually because I really want this long sleeve. All right, everybody. Wait, that's it. Merry Christmas, to everybody! Wow. Well, no, supporters club members. We got you. We got you before Christmas. <laughs>